everybody will fail. Everybody will have a challenge, an obstacle, something really big that you're going to struggle to get through. And when you do fail, struggle, or hit that obstacle, the key is to get back up and go quickly. Don't wait. Don't delay. Figure out what went wrong. Get up and go again. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by Ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason J. Lou Lewis. And today, we are excited because we're going to be diving into underperforming apartments and houses. Uh, Our guest today is Mr. Jim Ingersoll. He's a real estate entrepreneur author, and investor in the Richmond, Virginia area who specializes in the acquisition of underperforming apartments and houses. He also is a national speaker and host of The Dealmaker, a live annual event with investors working on creating lifetime income streams using tax advantage strategies to invest in real estate. Jim, we're excited to have you. Welcome on. Hey, it is awesome to be uh, doing this with you guys today, and congratulations on an amazing show and a great podcast, really, that's that's made an impact with so many people that I've talked to. It's, if you guys haven't hit subscribe yet and left a review, make sure you guys do that as well. It's a great podcast. Hey, Jim, I really appreciate that, giving the shout out. So it says, it, as a lot of podcast people say, it's it's a labor of love. We do it just because we want to add value. Definitely aren't in the podcast game to uh, to try to sell for $100 million like some of the recent podcasts have uh, to to uh, Spotify. I think that was a number that that uh, Joe Rogan sold for $100 million. That's That's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. I, I prefer just uh, doing real estate deals. It's it's more predictable for me than trying to create this podcast that'll sell to Spotify. That's yep. for sure. Yep, for sure. So, well, let's let's uh, let's dive in. We like to go ahead and jump right in to take us back to kind of your first real estate deal. When when did you get the itch? When did you get the overall addiction to to real estate? Well. My wife and I got married really young, Jason. She was 19, I was 21. And growing up, uh, my dad, he uh, he was an architect and he he had a couple of rental properties, duplexes and triplexes where we grew up in New York State. And he made it look really easy. So after my wife Cheryl and I bought our first house, a few years later, we said, oh, we're just going to buy a duplex. He made it look so easy, right? So we found this duplex, it was um, roughly $20,000 and man, it looks so good on paper, right? How can it not cash flow? And, and how, do you, how do you make sure you've got money for all the repairs that are needed? And all of a sudden I had this duplex and I didn't know how to manage the property and everything went wrong that you could imagine. I didn't, you know, I was working full-time as an engineer then and I would meet tenants after work and if they had a pulse and a deposit, I let them in and I didn't have money to do the repairs. So I bought like handyman books, a Walden bookstore and learned how to repair everything on my own. And it was really a disaster, my very first one. And that's that's really an important takeaway right off the start. So I'm glad you asked this because what happens when you fail or when you struggle or when you've got a challenge or an obstacle, a lot of times the key is how soon you get back up and go again. And in this case, my wife, Cheryl, was like, I never want to be a landlord again. That cost me about 10 years of investing. And I didn't come back in until I was in my 30s. 
And so the key right off the start at the beginning of the show is like everybody will fail. Everybody will have a challenge, an obstacle, something really big that you're going to struggle to get through. And when you do fail, struggle or hit that obstacle, the key is to get back up and go quickly. Don't wait. Don't delay. Figure out what went wrong. Get up and go again. Yeah. In, in the tech world, uh, when we were co-founding a tech company back in the day, that was one of the mentors, several mentors said, fail fast, fail forward. Right. So you know you're going to fail, but just make sure you're, you're falling forward. And then it kind of sounded like you maybe, you know, kind of failed standing up. You didn't really go backwards, but you did also for those 10 years, didn't go forward and were able to kind of learn and grow. You, you kind of were stagnant for those 10 years. So it sounds like you believe cost you 10 years of, of learning and investing. Yeah. I mean, the other thing, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately I learned from my dad is like get a really good education, work really hard and become a great employee. And I was a great employee just sort of climbing that corporate ladder for all those years, getting nowhere as far as like net worth and things like that. So I lost 10 years uh, when I was young. And so the message is we all fail. We're all going to struggle. We're going to have challenges, obstacles along the way. And the way you react to them and the way you overcome them and move forward is absolutely critical. Uh, sure. That's, that's great. Great insight. So 10 years, you put it on hold and then how, how did you get back into it? What was the kind of the trigger? And also how, how did your, your wife decide to let you get back into it? Well, we go full time together. Now we work in the business together and we have for about 15 years now. So it's been a while. I guess I was working uh, uh, full-time in, in, in Richmond, Virginia here. I took a job transfer. And I mean, the market, this is like 2005, I came back in. The market was really hot. And we bought a house and decided just to fix it up. And we rented one. And then we came back and we said, we're going to do a flip. And we flipped one. Um, and that was all great. Uh, and sort of like doing it part-time while working full-time, that was all fine. But I also went through, uh, after Y2K, if you remember back that far, Jason, it sounds like you've got sure. a tough background. Um, we went from like opening factories all over the world. So I was traveling to like China and England and Mexico constantly. Uh, but after Y2K, the tech world took a real beating. And all of a sudden, we were closing everything in the United States because we outsourced it to Asia and other places. And so I saw our factory of 2,200 people go down to 30. And I started to think, like, I wonder if I could do something else full time. And so over a period of two or three years, I did that and went through another cycle of corporate America, where I was running a couple of factories. And then we closed those again. And I said, that's it. I can't do this anymore. And found a way to get into real estate full time. That's great. And take us maybe through the last you know, four or five years of, of what that investing has looked like and kind of where you are now. And, and we can then lead into the acquisition special specialization of underperforming apartments and, and houses, maybe yeah. even dive in a little bit more of the houses. Cause you know, we do have people come in on the multifamily, sure. but there, there aren't a, a ton of people out there specializing in, in the houses because everyone that's really good at single family has kind of moved up and, yeah. and gone to the apartments. But I still feel, at least personally, that there's there's a value in single-family rentals underperforming. Yeah, I do too. You know, I think it's important to be able to uh, pivot and work through different market cycles. So 
I don't know what the upcoming market cycle will look like. We have 40 million people unemployed right now and we're in a pandemic and we have riots and, you know, a lot of chaos in the markets at the moment. But I do think like I started when the market was super hot. I went all the way through the crash. I survived the crash. And during those years where we were in a really deep recession, those are the years when you're in the recession that you can really focus on your wealth building and do really well. And then we came out and the market got really hot again. And I think during those times, you can make a lot of money. So I think you can do like wealth building in a recession real easily. And you can make a lot of income during the really hot markets. So I've sort of like tweaked things and, and I will continue to tweak things based on what I see happening economically. That's great. Well, what are you seeing in way of opportunity for underperforming? Uh, or how are you finding them? Okay. How do you underwrite them? How do you buy them? How do you finance them? Yeah, I mean, houses are easy. I mean, you can find houses. Right now, I think one of the, the key opportunities is um, burned out landlords. I think I was talking to somebody just recently that's 85 years old, and they've got like 20, a 20 unit apartment complex. And at this point, you know, you can't evict people. It's hard to collect rent. Some of those tenants, I'm sure, are unemployed. And at some point, they just want out. So I really think if you could focus on marketing to to landlords, not, I hate to say like slumlords or just people um, that are aging landlords, they just need a solution. And if you could be that solution and be the catalyst to kind of set them free, especially as they're getting a little bit older, I think, I think there's some really good plays right now, both in houses and small apartment buildings and things like that. For sure. We have one under contract currently and, and uh, gentlemen's owned it for 48 years, a fourplex, oh my gosh. 48 years. One of the tenants uh, has been there 28 years. Legacy tenant. 28 years. And he pays $400 a month for a nice, I mean, it needs updating, but it's a good location. It's a solid brick, normal fourplex, nothing funky or weird or hair hairy on it. It's just normal fourplex. And um, he's paying 400 and the market is 1200. So you figure 800 a month times 12, that's $9,600 a year that's being left on the table. But the gentleman bought it for $54,000 uh, 48 years ago and it's worth over half a million today. So for him getting 400 a month, I mean, that's a 10% return with just on his initial investment, with just the one apartment. So for him is, I think what you said is, is, is spot on is, is finding those people that have just have those legacy tenants and they're just ready just to cash out and, and call it good and get to the thing about those, they're relationship based people landlords. That's why he has $400 a month tenant for 28 years. He's just a good person. Anyone else would have kicked that person out and jacked rates up. So I think finding under rented ones, that means, and then befriend those people and get to know them and add value to them is, is definitely could be a key, uh, even niche within the tired landlord sector. Any other like unique things that you find that like, how you can connect and relate. People do business with people they know, like, and trust. So how can how have you had some wins connecting to some of those tired landlords? 
Well, I think we, your example brought back another memory from one we did just last year. And when we bought the quadruplex, there, there were three out of four that were rented at $500 each per month. This property was inherited by the kids. The parents that owned it had died. And after we made the acquisition and renovated the units really nice, the exact same apartments we rented at $1,500 a month. So they had three, they were the, like the whole thing was rented at 1200 a month. And when we were done, it was rented for $6,000 a month. So if you can find assets like that, that are in good areas, but have deferred maintenance and things, um, that's a great way. And that, in that case, there was a probate. So you can always go out and find people that are inheriting property. People are still dying on, you know, they will always die. Death, divorce, all these things always happen. But specifically to the landlords, I think um, you can easily pull a list and you can do direct mail. I do it and just mail them a letter saying your local landlord looking to buy some more property. Do they have any desire to sell or know anybody that does? You could also skip trace that list and just give them a call. So that's easy. You can also um, network because I really think your network is is everything. I mean, relationships and referrals um, are where you find really the hidden gold. And so you can do networking with property managers. How many property managers are managing pieces of people's portfolios that they know like they're not collecting rent and they need to do something different with the property? So you can go to NARPM and your local, you know, apartment and property owners associations and just let people know that you're you're looking to buy. You're looking to connect with other landlords. You can also find them on Facebook. There's a lot of places you can go out there and connect with people. For sure. Any any things you do specific when you send letters? Is there any little unique kind of niche? Do you send a, a photo? Is it handwritten? Is it you know, what, what kind of st- have you found that stands out a little bit? Because once they hit that probate list, they are getting lots of letters and calls. So yeah, they are. <clears throat> but you may want to um, consider trying to get pre-probate. Like just figure out a geographic area you really like, pull the list and just mail to all of them. It doesn't have to be probate. Yeah, I think if you take a picture of the house, if you have the ability to do that, we call that like driving for dollars in houses. But if you do it with apartments, if you see one you really like, take a picture of it with your phone. When you get back, upload it into Word and mail it. That will get their attention. If somebody sends, and I get text messages and you know people cold call me too because I own assets and I get direct mail. But if somebody sends me a letter and it's got a picture of my property, I will, I will definitely be reading that letter. So that's a good point to make, Jason. For sure. I've, I've seen people uh, and the feedback and, and the response, people are saying that they get a lot of slack for it. There's a, now a software that will... Um, when you send out a postcard, we'll pull the Google photo and put it on the postcard and says, I want to, I want to buy your property and they will do that, but it's, it's not personalized. And some people have said that they've got a ton of slack because that they're, these people freak out, especially the older generation. They're like, how did you get this photo? They don't realize it's an automated app. But the, 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 why I say this is, is that they say it works. So any, any thoughts of kind of those tactics that maybe gets a little slack and gets you some, some negative calls and letters back, but actually 
gets eyeballs because of that. Yeah, I think that's one of them. And one of those apps is called Deal Machine. It works really well, but there's others as well. You know, I also think, you know, if you're driving around your market and you see a for rent sign handwritten, why not just call it? Why not just text that number and see if they'd rather sell than rent? I do that all the time. And the thing is, a lot of times if they say, a lot of times they'll say, no, I, I really don't want to sell. I love being a landlord. Those aren't the people you really want to buy from anyways. But if you find somebody who's, who's struggling to keep up with maintenance and has tenant problems, doesn't know what to do with this mess where you can't evict anybody, it's hard to collect rent, they're going to maybe sell and maybe they'll have more than one and maybe they'll have more than five or 10. So all of a sudden you pick up a whole portfolio and then, then you can have the discussion of maybe you want to do seller financing or or stay in the deal somehow to defer your taxes and other stuff. So it creates opportunity. But you can also do that right off, off Facebook Marketplace. It's very easy just to message somebody there and just say, hey, I see you're renting this. Um, would you want to sell it? GoSection8.com is another one. You know, people don't really talk about marketing using GoSection8.com, but all the, all the Section 8 landlords are in there. And usually they're privately managed. And it's very easy. You don't even have to call them. But you, have the, you get the owner's name, you get the owner's phone number, and then you can just send them a message saying, hey, you've got this <laughs> Section 8 house. Instead of renting to another Section 8 tenant, maybe you'd want to consider selling it. That's great. So that was GoSection8.com? Dot com. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. And is that? Oh, and then uh, section and then the number eight.com. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. There's a yeah. lot of ways to like cast a wide net and that's the key. And so, and this is just like on the landlord side, really, that we're talking about, but learn how to connect with people that have property and talk to them about what, what's going on in their life and try to provide them with some value. Yeah, any any unique tips of things that you provide to people that quite quite aren't ready to sell, but still are maybe struggling, where you can maybe add value and and get in that that trust factor, so you will be the first call that they they make when they they are ready to sell in a year or two. You know, I think well, everybody should follow up. It's the best upward in real estate, first of all. So anybody you bought a house from last year in 2019, you should be touching base with them. Thank them again for doing the deal with you and ask if they have anyone else in their network that needs to sell. But I think it's important. That's a great point because two days ago, I got contacted by somebody I talked to more than 10 years ago. She kept my number all this time. It really blew me away. And she said, you always, and she's a burned out landlord, so I guess it's appropriate. And she said, you always told me, Jim, like if I ever got to the point I needed to sell or wanted to sell to call you, so here's the call. And by the way, she's open to seller financing. So I'm just saying like somehow build genuine relationships. It's all this Dale Carnegie stuff. People need to go back and read that book because it's about building genuine relationships, caring more about the person you're talking to, building deep rapport and finding ways for people to, to remember you. Yeah, I, I would have to second that the just simply caring for the person on the other line uh, on the opposite end of the line is definitely kind of a lost trait now with technology and just a numbers game because you're just you got to call dial for dollars as they say and uh, and then when you're down for dollars you can't really just say hey I'm how can I help you but I'm guessing that ten years ago that you had the mindset of how can I help you or she wouldn't have 
saved your number. Apparently so. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it worked. I mean, because otherwise she's like, oh, another one of these people that just want to make money right. and off, off me, delete. But some, so you did something where she felt that, you know, Jim Ingersoll is actually calling to try to make a win-win situation for us both. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important, and then we're just talking about one niche, landlord niche, solving the problem. And it isn't about taking advantage of people, it's solving a problem and giving them the opportunity to sell their property without a realtor, without doing any updates. Don't worry about the deferred maintenance. We close cash, we close fast. That's the essence, like the foundation of being a discount home buyer. Question on the close quick, close cash, you know, as is. There are some groups here in Denver where where I invest heavily that their key to that is to say that, and then they get it under contract. They do the twenty one, you know, fourteen day or twenty one day inspection. The last day of inspection, they come in and say this happened recently on one I bought. The reason that I was able to get it was they had it in contract, and the the people that are known to kind of do this said it needs a new roof, new HVAC, and we want you to replace all that or $50,000 or we won't you know, close. And those people had already spent the money in their mind. They, already, they needed that money. And then, then the day before the, kind of the deadline, they got that thrown on them. But I guess that works. Have you had any experience? I don't of, do that. I don't recommend that. Oh, for sure. And is that, is, but that's, I think, an advantage if you actually yes. care is to relay that to people and say, if that happens to you, Mm -hmm. call me. Right. I'll be your backup. Yeah. Think of it that way. But yeah, there are people that are doing so much cold calling this year that they're just closing deals on the phone and then they get the inspection clause, but they may be wholesaling. They're not really owning the assets and, and they go back and they renegotiate this stuff right before closing. To me, it, you know, it's borderline integrity and ethics there. For sure. Yeah, I didn't know if you've come kind of come across that or able to get some deals because people I were just but it's a yeah. good idea. Yeah. It uh I, I haven't marketed to that. It just happened to be that one came about because they were so frustrated this person did that and they're like, No. And then I got referred to them. So that kind of got me thinking, well, right. can you market to people to say, Hey, there's gonna be other people that offer you more money, but this will what will happen? They will hit you up the day before closing or day before. So if that happens, save my number. I will give you a fair price. I don't know if that works or not, but um, I like it. I'm I'm hearing more and more people. Yeah, me too. Tell the stories of they tie it up and then they just hammer them. And when you're an older person or you're tired and you've already spent that money in your head, then you're just like, whatever, just whatever, just close. Right. And they just, and they, and these investors kind of know that strategy works. So, but yeah, well, any other kind of tips, tricks on, on finding, owning, investing in kind of these? I just think it's a relationship business and your network's really important. People talk about not being able to find deals on the MLS or on LoopNet or wherever else also, but if you build relationships, you'll, you'll find stuff that doesn't make it there as well. Realtors have pocket listings, brokers know who needs to sell but doesn't want to put it on a loop net yet. You guys know that. And so if you can just build genuine relationships and build a network that you can add value to, you'll you'll start to create some deal flow. Um, and it's it's not that hard. 
Before we take a quick break here from a sponsor, what, what would be what, your number one tip to building a strong network? Well, I think your network is your net worth. So it's really important. And I think um, the one thing I didn't learn when I was getting my degree in electrical engineering is like the five people in your inner circle will have the biggest influence on your life. Jim Rohn said it so well. Um, so choose start with building a small network of really fewer, better people that are going to help you, like give you a hand when you need it and help share what, what is working. Um, you can do that through masterminds. You can do it through groups like your guys is writing Facebook and other places. But then you also need to really get to know people personally. And I really think it starts with adding value to other people. Like, how can I help you? Who do you know that I should know? Who, should, who do you know that I should avoid, by the way? And things like that. And really just add value, add value, add value. If you help enough people get what they need, you'll have everything that you need. It's great advice. That's a great way to segment into a quick break. And we'll come back with Jim for the final five. This episode of the Creative Real Estate Podcast is brought to you by both you and brought to you by the show itself. And we just wanted to say thank you, Jason. I really appreciate having you as a listener. And we have an ask. We've got a quick ask. If you have uh, been listening to the show for a little while, you love the show, and you haven't taken the time to leave a rating and a review, I just wanted to ask to see if you wouldn't mind uh, going into iTunes and doing a written review as well as a rating. Um, so that's our only ask. Let's get back to the show. All right. We are back from break with Jim Ingersoll. We're excited. We're going to dive right into the final five. The first one being, Jim, what's the most creative deal that you've done or come across in your real estate career? I love creative deals. I could talk about creative deals in a whole, a whole other show because I think seller financing is really important. You know, you can you can get seller financing. The thing is, it takes longer to do. It isn't like a cash offer and it isn't like doing a deal through a realtor that you never meet the seller. But if you have the ability to meet the seller in their kitchen, their dining room, their back deck, you can talk about why they need to sell and what they're going to do with the money. And a lot of times they're just going to put it in the bank and earn one and a half percent interest. So why not lend me your equity and earn three percent or five percent? Or maybe if you're buying something larger that's more expensive and you need and you don't want to syndicate, maybe they'd be willing to hold a second for like 30% in second position behind your bank financing so you don't need to syndicate. So it's really, again, it's about building deep relationships, going slow, building real rapport, and understanding why they want to sell and what they're going to do with the money, and then just structuring something that will work. Great advice there, Jim. And next question, what is your current kind of favorite either book or podcast, some, some sort of resource that you're seeing right now that's been a great resource to you in your real estate career? I read constantly and I listen to Audible all the time. Um, but lately, uh, last fall when I was in, in Italy, I read Profit First. Have you read it? Yep. Yep. It's a really good book. I read it while I was going from uh, Sorrento to Venice on a train. And when I got back, I took a lot of action off that book. Um, and I'm really glad I did. And he just came out with another one. It's called Fix This Now. And I'm about three quarters through that book as well. And I really like that one also. So lately, it's been that that line of thought. And right. it's what, good as we came into the market that we're in that I took those steps that I did back then. 
what's your one top takeaway you could share your for uh, for profit first? Well, profit first is about the entrepreneur struggle that that you do all this sales and you create all this revenue and you never have money at the bottom. So it talks about making sure that you have the ability to pay yourself first. So you set up sub accounts in your checking and you kind of segregate your money accordingly that way. So they're like, if you borrow money privately to do a rehab, that you, that you apply that money to the rehab and not to have all these other projects sort of keeps you out of a Ponzi scheme, so to speak as well. But it also talks about going through and identifying like all your monthly expenses that you don't think about and getting 100% out of business debt. I like that. That's great. Uh, where do you kind of see the market in the next one to five years? And kind of where do you see yourself in the future? We normally ask just where do you see the market in five years? But given the current situation, it's sure. unknown. So anything about in the future, where do you see it kind of heading? Yeah, if I look at my crystal ball here, I don't know. I think I got to see some more frames of this movie first because with 40 million people unemployed, um, but then like the unemployment rate just dropped from 13% to 10% when we're recording this. I didn't see that coming. And the retail real estate market is red hot in most markets. Um, I thought maybe apartments and cap rates have been so compressed for so long. I thought they might jump a little, but they haven't yet. So, but on the other hand, you can't evict people. You can't do foreclosures. So I think it may, I'm thinking it's my, I, what I can tell from my crystal ball is maybe we're going to have a bit of a market reset and correction, but it might be six months down the road. But it's really hard to know. I'm following a lot of economists right now and trying to figure it out myself because it's hard to know. Great. What's one thing that you've done to give back to the real estate community that's, that's given so much to you over the years? Yeah, I mean, I, I like to give back continually. So I've got a Facebook group. It's called Real Estate Investor Network. Um, it's growing very quickly. So we give out a lot of value there. Um, I do an annual event. And then I've got a podcast called Real Estate Investor Success. So I do think it's very rewarding, as I'm sure you do, Jason, when you hear the stories about people that have connected with you and not just listen to you, but they implement and they implement and they take massive action and get great results is very rewarding. So again, I think the more value you can add to all these different people and groups is very rewarding. Yeah, it's it's rewarding to give back, but it's it's 10x more rewarding when they actually follow through and have results from the give back that you had. That definitely is the icing on the cake. So uh, definitely seeing that is, is a good thing. So, well, what, what's the best way we'll put those, the different groups in your value add in the show notes, but what's uh, the best way if they want to reach out to you direct that they can do so that we can toss in the show notes as well. Well, my, my main website is investingnownetwork.com, but really the easiest way is to connect through my Facebook group. That's where I've kind of focused um, the majority of my social media and contact that way. So Great. find me in investing now network. A real estate investor network, sorry, and Facebook or just Facebook me is fine. Great. We'll put those in the show notes. And to kind of just to wrap up, uh, you know, Jim started off with the real estate mindset of if it's got a pulse and a deposit, <laughs> rent it. So, and, uh, and from that, it, you, you heard that that didn't quite work out 
too too well, but luckily he he got back in the game and and it's kind of highlights just everyone will struggle and it's all about knowing you're going to struggle and getting back on the horse. So fa- falling falling forward, falling fast type type of mindset. Um, some value add is finding burned out landlords, uh, maybe elderly landlords that are under rented. Go after them. Probates, reaching out to property managers, building relationships. Go section eight. Follow up the best best f word in in real estate. I definitely have to the degree <laughs> with with that one. But sometimes you use some of the other f words when uh, <laughs> when, when you maybe chose that tenant that had a pulse that you maybe shouldn't have. So both both ha- have their have their time in in real estate and and it kind of just your net not kind of but this is definitely your network is your net worth and and caring so uh, so I think those are some awesome tips that Jim provided and we're excited to kind of follow along with with your success here in the next few years and all the value add that you're given in your different groups and hopefully to have you back on to drop some more value add information bomb here here in the future. Awesome. It's been great to have you with you be with you today. I really enjoyed the discussion and thanks for, for giving back to the real estate community with your podcast. Great. All right. Well, as always, my friend, until next time, think outside the box. Thank you so much for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. And if you got value from this episode of the podcast, please take the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Give us a written rating and a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go. But until next time, think outside the box.